What's going on, everybody? Welcome back again to another episode of the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul, and I'm here with my close PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? And today we're going to be back with our series that we've been doing. If you guys haven't checked out the other episodes, go ahead and check the last few. Every week we're doing a weekly recap of three good uh, quarterback performances and three bad ones from the previous week. And towards the end, we're going to jump into a couple of rapid-fire questions to preview the next week, give you guys a couple of fun facts from what we've seen throughout the season uh, with these quarterbacks and whatnot. Uh, But before we jump straight into that, just quick promo, please follow us on Twitter at PD34 underscore for PD and at RealRahulPotty2 for me. Uh, Also, if you guys are enjoying this series, any of the other series we have done, such as the QB series over the summer, or just want to keep watching, please like, follow, subscribe, do what you guys can on your platform to support. Uh, And with that being said, let's jump right into our three up or three good quarterback performances. Uh, I'll let you get started with your first one, PD. Yeah, my first one is Matthew Stafford, and I think that this could have been the best performance of the week. I'll get to another guy later who I think was a strong candidate. Uh, But Matthew Stafford, low volume in this one because of the way the game script played out. Um, The Rams started running the ball pretty heavily in the second half, and so he didn't get to do much. But, man, he maximized the opportunities that he was given in this one. 65% perfect pass rate and specifically a few throws that were truly exceptional. So – um, there's the one near the end of the first half, um, where he throws a beautiful post route deep down the field, uh, to Cooper cup, just drops it right in the bucket, 41 yards down the field in a tight window cup doesn't really win on the route, but Stafford just makes it right anyway. Um, great throw there. And then in the third quarter, he throws an unbelievable, uh, tight window deep out to two, two Atwell with great timing, unbelievable placement. Um, just an incredible throw there, 30 yard gain on that one. Um, and then for his last exceptional throw of the day in the fourth quarter, hits Cup on another deep out in another tight window. Um, this one for a 21-yard gain because it was a little closer to the sideline. Um, overall in the game, he only had three negative plays for me, one sack and a couple of throws that I thought he missed by a little bit. Um, like I said, 65% perfect pass rate, which is fantastic number. Um, and yeah, just a very complete game. Um, took what the defense gave him and was very successful when he was pushing the ball down the field. So um very very impressed with Stafford in this one and uh another game for Stafford here where um it's looking like he's having one of his better seasons and that's very impressive with him turning 36 um in Super Bowl week or so I think um and yeah very very impressed with Stafford's performance this year and this week in specific absolutely impressive because honestly after what we saw last year with him struggling with the elbow injury and honestly just not looking like the same player he was in that Super Bowl Rams run we saw a couple years ago. I was honestly on the train of Stafford potentially being washed, kind of this Rams team is going to slow down and let him go rebuild soon. And they've traded a lot of their picks for that Super Bowl. So I thought that might be a long process, but Stafford has absolutely revitalized his career uh, this season. And I think the biggest thing we're seeing right now is the return of Cooper Cup. I mean, this past weekend, they absolutely showed why those two are such an elite duo and still look right now one of the most lethal duos in the league. Uh, this offense is absolutely cooking. And go moving on to another team whose offense was kicking before their elite receiver went down, much like this uh, Cooper Cup injury. And it really reminds me of the situation with Matthew Stafford. 
And that's the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins really impressed me this week because he had to completely change the way he plays, in my opinion. Uh, Kirk Cousins, obviously, we kind of know him as a guy who does like to be aggressive a lot. And sometimes to a fault, but when Kirk Cousins is on in terms of his aggressiveness, he's extremely accurate, plays with elite anticipation, and is able to run a very high-powered offense. And in this game, we saw the complete opposite. This was definitely not a high-powered offense, definitely not what we see normally out of Kirk Cousins. And he was absolutely able to adapt and play with what I'd say was a pretty subpar receiving core, subpar weapons in general, and still produce a very good game. In general, he was 21 for 31, which is more deflated in terms of accuracy than even the an impressive stat line there because he did deal with a lot of drops, a couple of pretty important drops throughout the game, one early on in the game for that could have led to them extended the, extending the drive on a third and seven and scoring a touchdown, big drop by Brandon Powell. Uh, we also saw a couple of major drops from TJ Hawkinson later in the game. Jordan Addison and KJ Osborne, who were expected to kind of take a bigger role in the absence of Jefferson, really weren't getting a whole lot of separation. And especially Addison, who is obviously a bigger talent, you would expect him to take on a bigger role. It showed in this one that he's clearly not ready to be the receiver one. And Kirk was, despite not having a whole lot of separation from his guys, was still able to adapt and play this new brand of football where He's getting rid of the ball quick, kind of just dumping it off as quick as possible. A lot of passes in that 5 to even 15-yard range, mainly that 5 to 10-yard range. And even then, he wasn't getting a lot of yak yardage. A lot of the passes had to go in very tight windows. And despite that, he was still able to make this offense go downfield a decent amount of times, pick up field goals consistently. On the touchdown drives, he he had a couple of very impressive throws. One of the uh, down the right side of the field to TJ Hawkinson uh, was probably my favorite uh, throw of the day from him just because of how well he was able to fit that throw despite linebackers kind of being all over him, all over uh, TJ Hawkinson. And only two sacks on this one. No turnover-worthy plays, in my opinion. Uh, What does bring it down a little bit is two fumbles here, including one lost and I do think that put the Bears in the game a lot more than they needed to be. But to me, that also uh, part of it was the lack of blocking there. So I gave him a little bit of slack there. Overall, still a good game. Not elite because of the fumbles and lack of explosives, but a very solid game, especially given the situation for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I was impressed with his performance too. Um, I do have the one turnover-worthy play with the backwards pass for the fumble. Um, but yeah, other than that, very clean game, able to generate positives with a really subpar supporting cast, um, with TJ Hawkinson and the likes of KJ Osborne, Jordan Addison, good player, but, um, yeah, just very incomplete, um, supporting cast without Justin Jefferson. Um, and I've talked to you and and other people about my gripes with KJ Osborne this season. And, um, yeah, I think they, they definitely showed themselves in this game. All right. Moving on to a receiving core that is absolutely complete and has no flaws right now, and that's Tua Tungvaloa and the Miami Dolphins. And, yeah, they, they beat the brakes off the Panthers. This one started off slow for Tua and for the offense um, with him throwing a bad pitch on a run play to Raheem Mostert. That was his one turnover-worthy play of the game. Um, and after that, it was basically just lights out. Starts off 
Um, with the last play of the first quarter, there was an amazing pass with incredible anticipation to Tyreek Hill, 23 yards down the field, hits him in stride, perfect pass, 27-yard gain, um, has a string of short to intermediate completions that generate anywhere between 4 to 14 yards. Um, and then after a couple of incompletions, hits another pass for a 17-yard completion, this one to Waddle, again with amazing anticipation. Um, after an incompletion and a couple of short completions, has a pass where he looks off the safety, um, and throws a 41-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Ball's like one yard behind him, but great pass nonetheless because of the way that he manipulated the defender a little bit there. Um, in the third quarter, he has a string of incompletions to start. Um, and then from that point on, he basically doesn't miss. Has a great pass for a 47-yard gain to Tyreek Hill. Again, throwing with incredible anticipation. Um, has a couple of completions for nine yards of varying difficulty. And then throws a great pass uh, Tyree Kill, again, with great anticipation um, for a 24-yard gain. And then throws his best pass of the day, um, in my opinion, an 18-yard one, or in terms of difficulty, his best pass of the day, uh, an 18-yard uh, pass past the line of scrimmage um, into a really tight window, throws with incredible touch, incredible anticipation on this pass, um, and it just bonks off Jalen Waddle's hands for a drop. Um, has a 10-yard completion and then finishes out the fourth quarter with uh, a 13-yard completion, and a couple of uh, shorter plays. Um, so, yeah, an amazing day from Tua. Um, if he didn't have that bad pitch, it would be a contender for one of the better games of the year. But as it stands, um, this is just another performance that uh, continues to solidify his case as what I think is uh, the MVP favorite right now. So uh, this Dolphins offense continues to look unstoppable, um, and Tua is uh, the ringleader of that. Man, it's another week with another massive scoring uh, offensive day from the Dolphins. And at this point, it's almost coming to be expected. And like you said, the engine or the point guard of this offense is absolutely Tua Tagovailoa. And I think the biggest thing that has kind of even more so uh, expanded in this year's offense is Tua's connection with Tyreek Hill. Because obviously the, Tyreek Hill was incredible last year too. But I feel like he's elevated and Tua has elevated themselves and their deep game together to a completely new level. It feels like Tyreek Hill's ability to get separation downfield is just unparalleled. And Tua is just able to deliver it right on the money. As you said, like we saw a couple of times in this one. So yeah. I would also agree with you that he's probably looking like maybe the MVP front runner right now, looking like one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Definitely showing that he's jumped into that elite tier, which we got glimpses of last year, but he wasn't able to put together a whole, like even the even though he did miss a lot of time, the times he did play, he was a little bit inconsistent. And we're seeing a lot less of that this year. Uh, and I just talked about Kirk Cousins and his woes due to his lack of help around him and going to another quarterback with a very similar situation in the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson was incredible in this game as well. And I'll start off with the bad, kind of get that out of the way. The only reason, only kind of issue I have with him in this game is that interception he throws early in the third quarter. Uh, it just seemed completely like a miss to me, completely unnecessary as well. Uh, he has Rashad Bateman pretty open on a comeback route down the right sideline, and he just misses him. He just throws it past him right to, I believe it was Sean Murphy bunt, uh, bunting, and it was pretty costly as well because in that situation, it could have easily been a pick six, does give the Titans the ball. 
uh, pretty deep in Baltimore territory as well as pretty much puts them back in the game because at that point it was 18-3. Tennessee has a huge uh, third quarter off the back of that, scoring a touchdown the very next play. So to me, that was a huge mistake, but he does make up for it pretty much the rest of the game. Uh, I think this year Lamar has been a little bit more of a passer, and in this one, we saw him be huge in the run game like we know he can be. Definitely dominated that kind of interior of the Titans offense. And one thing that looking into this game, I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast, uh, but one thing I was really concerned about is how that Tennessee uh, linebacker core was going to deal with the running rushing ability of Lamar Jackson and all the moving bodies the Ravens have on this uh, rushing offense. And they had no answer, really. Lamar Jackson, even though there were no big explosive runs, he was just consistently able to chunk yardage on both design runs, uh, scrambles, everything. And passing the ball, he was uh, lights out as well outside of that pick. 21 for 30 uh, was pretty good accuracy overall, despite him his receivers not really getting a whole lot of separation, as as we've seen pretty much throughout the year with him. Uh, his synergy with Mark Andrews and Zay Flowers, though, was an elite because those guys weren't getting, like I said, a ton of separation. He was still able to get it to both of those guys. The touchdown pass to Zay Flowers at the uh, end of the first half, I believe, was pretty impressive as well. Uh, that for uh, that roughly 40-yard pass we saw to Mark Andrews in the, in the second half also was very impressive to me. Overall, he was very accurate in this one kind of contributed a lot in both facets of the game. Didn't take any sacks, no real interceptable passes or turnover worthy plays in general, aside of the interception. Uh, I'd say this was solid plus or very good game for him. Could have gone into the elite tier had he taken away that pretty massive mistake of the interception. But other than that, very solid game for him. Yeah. I thought he was very good in this game too. Only the one turnover they play. And um, yeah, continuing to add to a year where Lamar has looked um, a lot more accurate than years past, um, especially in like the intermediate area. Now, I think it's like entirely possible that he's kind of riding a hot streak right now. Um, I don't see any tangible change in his mechanics. Um, still doesn't really throw with his base lined up. Um, still throws a lot of passes sidearm, which is really functional for um, getting him out of trouble in, pr- in pressure situations, but um, still interferes with him when um, the pocket is clean and you would like to throw with perfect mechanics more often than not. So um, we'll see if that holds up throughout the year. But regardless, um, very impressive start so far. And he's also in the group of guys who I would say is contending for the MVP. All right, moving on from Lamar to a guy who is definitely not contending for the MVP, but uh, I hope one day he'll get there, and that's Bryce Young. Um, First week that Bryce Young is in the good category, um, and it's because I thought he put together his first full complete uh, above average performance. Uh, has a fumble on the first play, which I didn't think was his fault. Just totally blindsided by left tackle giving up an instant pressure. He wasn't um, particularly deep in the pocket to where uh, the edge defender would have an advantage over the tackle either. Just a horrible play by the left tackle. Um, but yeah, he was cooking in the first quarter. Has a short pass that goes for eight yards and then throws a beautiful pass to Adam Thielen over the middle of the field, uh, 16 yards down the field, and it goes for a 27-yard gain. Um, Has a pass that goes for seven yards and then throws uh, a shorter pass uh, to Tommy Tremble that goes for a 21-yard gain. Um, Has a nice intermediate pass that goes for an 11-yard gain. This one um, on the wider side of the field, impressive throw. Um, 
and then throws one again to the wider side of the field um, in a tight window to Adam Thielen that goes for eight yards. Um, and then in the second quarter, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, as a 10-yard pass where he puts it on the money for Mingo, um, and then a 13-yard pass where I think Mingo um, definitely should have stopped his route, just keeps it running, um, and it, the ball ends up looking like it's behind him. Um, and then after a string of short passes and incompletions, has a couple of nice intermediate completions for 16 yards, votes to Adam Thielen, um, and then closes out the drive with another completion to Adam Thielen. Uh, a miss to DJ Chark on uh, what I think could have been a throwaway, um, but regardless, he looks like he skips the entire progression and kind of gets rid of it, which is uh, a rough play. Um, and then moving on to the second half, this was where things got a little bit more up and down. He took three sacks uh, in that second half. Um, largely didn't generate too many explosive plays. Has one nice play where he throws the ball uh, to DJ Chark. Um, Chark gets a step of separation, 16 yards down the field. That one goes for a 24-yard gain. Um, and, yeah, for basically the rest of the game, it's it's just short completions and incompletions because um, at this point the Panthers' offensive line just started uh, – uh, not playing well, I'll, I'll put it nicely, um, giving up pressure pretty quickly. Um, and the receivers weren't able to separate quickly enough. So um, when the pass protection was more above average in the first half, um, Bryce had more of an opportunity to operate. But in the second half, it just broke down. Um, and there were multiple third and longs um, where he was just trying to make a play, um, ended up doing too much and taking sacks. But I don't really have a problem with it if you're going to eventually in the long run offset those um, with positive plays. So, um, yeah, a, a very nice game from Bryce Young, throwing to the intermediate areas of the field, no turnover-worthy plays. Um, this is the style of play I would expect from him going forward if their situation was to kind of improve. Um, and that looks like an above-average quarterback to me. So I was impressed with the end of this game. Yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about Bryce Young off the pod. There's some things where I agree with you here, some things where I don't. And the biggest thing for me absolutely is the way he looks now. With I, w- I still won't say good blocking, but there, like you said, there was a period of this game where the Panthers definitely held their own a lot better than we've seen for majority of the year. And in that situation, Bryce Young looked a lot better. His synergy with Adam Thielen was very good. Uh, I saw Adam Thielen being able to just find space going over the middle a lot. And Bryce Young was kind of just able to pick apart the zone of that Dolphins defense, continuously putting the ball in the right spots for Adam Thielen to snag it in open space and still be able to make a move, making make something else happen after the catch. Uh, it just seems like a clear problem of a lack of playmakers here. I mean, when you're relying on Adam Thielen to make your offense work consistently and pretty much no one else is creating separation, making plays happen. It's a tough job for Bryce Young, but the place where I can criticize him and where I am a little bit more hesitant at the moment, and hopefully because he is so accurate, I do think things like this will change. But I don't think right now his team's struggling with drops. They are getting separation, but he's not getting a lot of drops. And a big reason he has a lot of incompletions consistently, at least I feel like, is he does have a lot of missed throws. I mean, there was one in this one, like you said, where he just completely ignores his project uh, pro, uh, progression, kind of just throws it out of bounds in the area of DJ Chark in a clean pocket where he shouldn't have. There's a lot of, another one where he has pressure, but he has DJ Chark open down the left sideline where 
my, me personally, I thought he should have hit that throw. And th- there's just a couple of situations like that in general where, yeah, he doesn't get a whole lot of separation, but there is time to time where a guy like DJ Chark or maybe even a Mingo sometimes stealing, they'll get the open and Young does have a little bit of a tendency to make the overthrow. Uh, do I think that'll stick? No, not really. I think this is one of those things Bryce Young's just going to deal with as a young quarterback, especially when he's getting rushed pretty often uh, per, because of how bad his offensive line is. But definitely a promising start given how things have been going for him. Uh, and moving on to someone who has also had a pretty surprising start right now, honestly, probably one of the better starts of his career. And that's Lions quarterback, Jared Goff. And just looking at the stat line, you can kind of see how good he was in this one. He was 30 for 44, 353 yards, two touchdowns, uh, did take three sacks, most of which what I did think was his fault. But that's really only the knock I have for him throughout the day because he didn't have any turnover-worthy throws, in my opinion. Does not fumble in this one, and his accuracy was pretty off the charts in this game, in my opinion. Very, very elite-level accuracy. And I'm just really loving the way this uh, Lions offense is absolutely catered to him because one thing Jared Goff has been good at throughout his career, not only as a Lion, has been going over the middle, hitting timing routes where he can read uh, where the windows are, getting it to his receivers in those and letting them make plays. He doesn't necessarily like to go to the sidelines. He likes to work a lot off play action, work down middle of the field. And the perfect person to fit him or pair him with is Amon Reyes Brown for that exactly. They've been incredible this season and they were so good in this game. It felt like almost every other every other play, it was Amon Ra going over the middle on a deep in route, uh, cutting inside 15 yards downfield or maybe like a cross or a deep slant. And he just seemed to find space in between the two middle linebackers that the uh, Bucks continuously ran, and they kind of layered their safeties deep, leaving a little bit of a mid- middle of the field open for – Amon Ra to work with between the linebackers and safeties and Jared Goff would just stick in that pocket drop back and just deliver a strike down the middle consistently one of my favorite throws in this game went in that way exactly and maybe it wasn't one of the more impressive plays of the game but it was like mid third quarter and we see uh pressure get right up in his face interior pressure uh he didn't really have a vision of what was going on and he was able to shuffle left and with the defensive lineman's arm in his face he launches the ball right in between two linebackers in the tightest of windows possible like 20 yards downfield it was Amon Ra right in between two linebackers with the safety coming down too and he puts it right in between those guys and low to where Amon Ra can just grab it go down without getting hit protects his receiver as well And there were a lot of throws like that where he just layers it right over the middle of the field. A lot of the other ones weren't as tight windows because Amon Ra was just able to get so much separation. And one thing I said last week with Jared Goff's play to where he's not the kind of guy who you're just going to consistently see hit deep plays, uh, destroy uh, your defense downfield kind of in that regard. And we saw a little bit of that in this game as well. 
Uh, he was able to get the f- ball downfield to uh, Jamison Williams, who seems to be healthy for the first time in a while. That I believe it was like a 45-yard throw. That was also one of the better throws of the day, in my opinion, from him, just because it's Jared Goff, and we don't really expect him to make those kinds of plays. And he 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 was able to adapt and kind of make up for it. A lot of big chunk yardage plays in those intermediate yards of the uh, range of uh, 15 to 25 yards. Uh, yeah, Jared Goff just played with elite accuracy, elite anticipation, just another good game and a very good season for him. Yeah, he's been pretty consistent as no bad games this season. Um, last week against Carolina, he absolutely lit them on fire. Um, and combine that with every other game being like solid or better. Um, yeah, this has been a fantastic start from Jared Goff. Um, his best one since, I would say, 2018, um, when we remember that Rams-Vikings game where he threw for, what, like 450 yards and five touchdowns. Um, yeah, that was the last time that Goff started off this hot, in my opinion. And uh, the synergy between him and his receiving group, um, they are so well put together with Amon Ross St. Brown and Josh Reynolds and all of them, with Sam Laporta. Um, just a very, very good group of skill players and they're not really getting too much out of Jameson Williams yet on a consistent basis. Um, it's just very, very fun to watch the Lions offense right now. Their offensive line is really clicking. Um, yeah, just just great stuff to watch right now um, from the Lions. All right. So speaking of great stuff to watch, let's look at not so great stuff to watch. Um, and I will start it off this week um, talking about Brock Purdy. And this one was really rough to watch. So um this was a weather game, which is a big con- contributing factor. Um, Brock Purdy, not the biggest quarterback. Um, the hand size has been talked about before, um, and his grip strength was definitely an issue in this game. Um, so in the first quarter, it was going fine um, on, on pretty low volume. Um, but Brock Purdy has his best throw of the day in the first quarter. There was a great pass to Ayuk on third and 13. Ayuk just has it go off his hands. Um, really should have caught that one. That was an impressive play, 30 yards down the field. Uh, and then from that point on, there's not much that's happening that's positive for Purdy. Um, his first pass after after that pass is a good one, though. Um, goes for 33 yards uh, to Ayuk. Ball's a little bit behind him, but uh, a good throw nonetheless. After a couple of short completions, Brock Purdy has his first ugly miss of the day, um, where he just completely throws it way low um, for Rory McLeod. Has an intermediate completion for 9 and then another one for 17 yards. Um, and then after a throwaway... Um, he has another incompletion where he just totally underthrows George Kittle. Like Kittle is something like 30 plus yards down the field. This throw goes like 22 yards. It's, it's just very, very bad. Um, and then his next play on a third and 15 um, in Brown's territory, he just loses the ball backwards um, while he's attempting a throw ball just flies out of his hand. Um, like I mentioned, the grip strength was very much an issue. This one pretty horrendous play considering that the Niners were, uh, having some potential to kick a field goal on this one. So very much erasing a drive there. Um, after an incompletion, he throws an interception. This one targeting Ayuk, the ball is just way behind him. Um, very bad throw. Um, on the next drive, he starts it off with a 10-yard sack on what's an intentional grounding play. Um, yeah, rough play there. Um, and then has a one-yard completion to George Kittle where he just kind of bobbles it, um, goes backwards from an initial four-yard depth of the target. Um, takes a sack, and then to start the fourth quarter uh, on this drive, Purdy has a couple of incompletions. 
Um, and then on the next drive, he takes uh, a bad sack for um, 11 yards um, uh, and then has a couple of good plays. So he has uh, intermediate completion for 10 yards. Um, and then after a throwaway, um, this is where we get to the game-winning drive. So um, game-winning drive, first pass, um, he tries to end the game, um, throws the ball a few yards behind Jawan Jennings. Um, bad pass, should have been intercepted, should have been game over, but DB just drops it. Um, after an incompletion, he throws a short one to Brandon Ayuk, who makes a great play to thir- turn what should be like a three-yard completion into a 25-yard one. Um, had potential for more, but he, he kind of slipped up there. Um, throws another incompletion where he just misses Jennings on an out route, um, and then throws a couple of short passes that go for eight and nine-yard completions. Um, and that capped off, off his day. Um, Niners kicker misses the field goal, and the Niners lose the game. So, um, yeah, just one explosive play here for Brock Purdy, which he self-generated, which is that one drop by Ayuk in the first quarter. Uh, a few intermediate passes, but, man, the turnover he plays in this one were just disastrous. The the one I mentioned in the first half where he just flings the ball backwards, um, just loses control of it, um, and then two interceptable passes where his accuracy just completely let him down uh, because of the weather. Um, in terms of an actual number to put on the accuracy, he had nine perfect passes on this in this one out of 23, which is 39%. That's way under Brock Purdy's standards and well below league average. So, um, yeah, rough game from Brock Purdy. I didn't really t- take anything away from it from a long-term standpoint. I know that Brock Purdy normally, we've discussed him as a ceiling raiser. He works in the construct of an elite offense. Um, he makes everyone around him better. But if no one shows up to, to play um, and the weather is also hurting him from a physical tool standpoint, it's going to be difficult for him to succeed. So uh, not much to take away for Brock Purdy from a long-term standpoint for me, but um, yeah, definitely the worst game of his career, in my opinion, this one. Yeah, easily the worst game of his career. I don't, it's been a long time as a 49ers fan. I've watched the game and it's been so painful because Brock Purdy was no short of atrocious. He was horrible in this one. It honestly hurt to watch watching this because just a few weeks ago or last week even, we are talking about how good Brock Purdy was, how well he played against the Cowboys, how well he played against the Cardinals. Uh, he was starting to put together a really good season before the game. For what it's worth, he was even number one in MVP odds. He was looking like he was putting together a fantastic season. And this may not be a step in the wrong direction or a, a step backwards, kind of like you hinted at PD, which I'll get into in the second. But for what we saw in this game, it was horrendous. One of the worst quarterback performances I've seen in a while. And pretty much everything goes wrong for him. I, not to make excuses for him, but CMC goes out. Debo Samuel goes out. Trent Williams, obviously not 100% after the ankle injury. Uh, weather is something I'll get into in a sec. But with all of those factors included, things were still terrible. That slip fumble that PD was talking about where he kind of just throws the ball backwards is something that has kind of been an issue with Brock Purdy with those fumbled snaps that we've been talking about pretty much this entire year. Almost every game he has one of those. And yeah, I also don't know if his hands are just too small or if he's just careless with the ball. But it's a recurring problem that just keeps happening Another issue that I've seen, it it happened to him too many times, and it happened to him a couple of times in this game, is him getting his balls batted at the line. And obviously, he isn't the tallest guy in the world, not the biggest guy in the world, but we see other quarterbacks 
so even smaller than him, make it work and f- shuffle around, find the windows where they need to throw the ball. He has to realize that he's not tall and big enough to throw it over those guys, and it consistently ruins drives. And that interception he threw is probably one of the worst interceptions I've seen, seen Brock Purdy ever throw. Usually don't get plays like that out of him, whether it's because a play, it's dropped or because he just simply doesn't make those plays a lot. But uh, And his accuracy was terrible. So many times where Brandon Ayuk was wide open in this one, who was really the only one who was the elite contributor for him in this game because of all the injuries. And he just kept missing him. Couple of throws on out routes where Brandon Ayuk was wide open. He misses him high. Like you mentioned, there was a time Kittle was open. And when you miss a 6'5 target like him, it's always going to be a big issue. Uh, but before I move on from him, I also agree with you. This isn't something I expect to linger. I think the he came in with the bad, weather was pretty bad in that first half. And he wasn't really able to throw the ball like he normally does because of him not being the biggest guy, not having the strongest arm. It clearly affected him more. The ball seemed to slip out of his hands a lot more. And it the ball just didn't deliver with the same zip and accuracy we expect out of Brock Purdy because he was lobbing balls because of the weather. And I think that got into his head in the second half. He seemed to be playing very unconfident football. Didn't really play with the same moxie that we expect out of a Brock Purdy. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it seemed like it was an effect of how bad he played in that first half. And we have to remember, he's still super young. He still hasn't even played a whole season of football yet. And because he's been so good so early on, because of how good the team is around him, you kind of forget that he's a very young quarterback. Every young quarterback in the league has these games where they just kind of throw the game away for their team. And it was bound to happen from for Brock Purdy. Uh, the situation was stacked against him, and it happened today. Uh, but I'll end my rambling on Brock Purdy and move on to another quarterback who kind of saw started off hot and definitely did not end the game that way, and that's the Bengals and Joe Burrow. And this game really disappointed me because last week we had him in the good category. It seemed like he was turning a new leaf. That injury was starting to not take its effect, and I really don't think this game could be blamed on injury because Burrow just straight up was making bad decisions, and you can kind of even see it in the stat line. He was 24 for 35, only 185 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, three sacks, and those last few stats is what I really want to get into because a lot of that happened in the second half. But first half, he started off pretty lights out. One of his first throws of the game, or early on in the game, we see him go deep to Jamar Chase uh, for, like, uh, I believe it was 30-plus yards on a free play off uh, offsides. That was huge, getting them started off early, gave uh, a Jamar Chase a ball in a very tight window. And it's kind of vintage Burrow to Chase. And we saw that the first two drives in general. He was moving the ball, even though it was in a traditional Joe Burrow going deep, hitting uh, the, the Seahawks with deep plays. The secondary is good. I expected them to go more kind of dink, dink and dime, and he was able to do that in those first couple of drives, uh, getting the ball out to Tyler Boyd a couple of times. Jamar Chase got the ball. Uh, Higgins wasn't really involved, but Mixon was as well a couple of times. And they put together two strong drives off the back of Joe Burrow being able to settle in and just – dink and dunk and pick apart the Seahawks uh, defense. And after that quarter, 
out of nowhere, things completely changed for uh, Joe Burrow. And I don't really think it was the receivers. I feel like they were getting the same amount of separation they were before. He was just incredibly inaccurate. Uh, I don't know how, how else to put it. Him and Chase did not seem to be on the same page at all. Uh, this is highlighted, I'd say, by that interception where I felt like this was a lot more on Burrow. You could say, yeah, it was a 50-50 ball where maybe Chase doesn't do enough uh, to win. But to me, that ball seemed very underthrown. It seemed like Chase had outside leverage and maybe could have tried to get a sideline catch. And that's where Burrow should have put it. But he puts it on the inside where Chase really doesn't have a chance. Makes it a pretty easy pick for that DB. And in general, in that second quarter and second half, this offense just wasn't functioning because Joe Burrow wasn't able to put completions together. It seemed like every drive there was one overthrow or one play where he was just throwing the ball away or getting rid of the ball as quick as possible. It didn't seem like the confident Joe Burrow we expect who sits in that pocket and waits for some things to open up, not only underneath but downfield. We see saw a lot more of checkdowns. And even though he was really good at handling pressure in that first half, multiple drives got killed by those three sacks he took in that second half, all of which I thought came from him just holding the ball too long. And after 14 points coming in that first half, uh, he only got three in that second half because of so many failed drives over and over again. Uh, And that's what disappointed me, a very, very underwhelming second half where it was misses left and right. And that's what puts him in the bad category here. Yeah, that interception um, on Burrow and Chase, in my opinion, Chase kind of completely loses on the route. But Burrow, like, totally puts the ball inside where the DB can make a play on it. Um, and, yeah, some consistency issues from Burrow in this one. Um, strong first half, ugly second half. We'll see how it evens out um, in the coming weeks. But um, I'm still encouraged to see him actually running, like, if you told me a few weeks ago that he'd be running uh, based on what I saw a few weeks ago, I would be pretty surprised. He um, looked like he was struggling to jog um, a couple weeks ago. And so at least that part is encouraging. Um, all right. Moving on to another quarterback who's dealing with a leg injury, and that's Ryan Tannehill. So Tannehill left this game uh, in the third quarter, and his his leg was clearly bothering him um, before he left. But um, that doesn't stop me from putting him in the bad category because uh, before he left, um, so I'll start off with a good. So in the first quarter, had a couple of nice completions for 10 11 yards on shorter passes, um, and then has a drop with Nick Westbrook-Akine in the end zone. He throws a great ball in a tight window, and Westbrook-Akine just doesn't come up with it. Um, has a short pass that goes for six yards, um, and then another short pass that goes for seven yards, and then has a batted ball and a bad throw where um, he – Tries to get it to Kyle Phillips, but um, he's covered and uh, the ball is really low. Um, There's a nice intermediate pass that ends up going to going for 20 yards to DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and then it has an incompletion and then a sack that I thought was his fault where he just kind of held the ball too long. Um, kind of let the edge player um, get to him with too much depth. Um, and then in the third quarter, um, starts off with a short completion for six yards and then takes a sack that I didn't think was his fault. Um, and then at this point, this is when the injury really seems to start bugging him. Um, a little bit into the third quarter, he has three straight incompletions where it just really looks like he can't push off of his leg really well. Um, completely overthrows DeAndre Hopkins on a couple of tight window passes. 
Um, and then for his last pass of the game, throws an ugly interception where he really forces it to Okonkwo. I think that it was there. It was it was going to be have to be a very good throw from Tannehill if he wanted to make that completion. Um, but the ball is just terrible. Um, way behind where Okonkwo would be um, with a perfect ball and ends up with an interception. So um, for Tannehill in this one, one explosive play with the drop touchdown to Westbrook Kine, um, and then a bad interception combined with a lot of up and downness from an accuracy standpoint because of the injury and um, for other varying reasons. Um, I'm forced to put this one in the bad. Um, I'm hoping that this isn't the end for Tannehill, especially in Tennessee, because Tannehill's been really fun to watch. Um, a few years ago when he was at his best, um, it was accuracy over the middle of the field, working off play action, throwing deep bombs uh, to A.J. Brown. And I fear that that player is long gone at this point. And even the flashes that we get, um, like the game against the Chargers in week two, um, those may be few and far between at this point. Yeah, I feel like it's well documented at this point on this podcast, at least, how I feel about Ryan Tannehill and how low I was on him coming into this year. But yeesh, I did not expect a game like this coming in uh, to the season. And I will say, yeah, obviously he's in a terrible, terrible situation, easily the worst in the league. But yeah, he's making the situation even worse at this point in time with all of the throws he's missing. That interception was pretty awful, at least in my opinion. And one thing I will say on what you said at the end there, you you would say that you hope Ten Hill's time in uh, Tennessee isn't over. I actually hope for the opposite. I actually hope Tannehill's time in Tennessee is over soon. And not not because I'm praying on his downfall, but more because I, I actually do think he has something left in the tank. I think this year there's a lot of teams with questionable QBs, to be quite honest. There's a lot of teams that I think can compete with someone capable. And maybe Tannehill's not at the point we saw a couple of years ago where he was hitting deep bombs to A.J. Brown left and right, like you said. But he's definitely at a point where I think he can be an average quarterback still and run a solid offense. And it's very, very evident that this Titans team is not bad. And I think it's very evident that the Titans team want to move towards the future. And for whatever reason, they've kind of kept along the guys who have been in the previous Titans era, like guys like Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill, bringing in a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. I don't really understand what direction they're trying to go. And I'd love for them to kind of commit to that by letting go of Ryan Tannehill, let him spend his final few years uh, in this league, maybe giving himself a chance to compete instead of basically wasting that time on this Titans team, to be completely honest. Uh, But moving on from one quarterback who is kind of in the final years of his career to someone in his division just getting started and has gotten off to a hot start, but judging from the fact he's in the bad category, definitely not the case in this one. And that's C.J. Stroud on this Texans team against the Saints. And you can even see it from his stats. 13 for 27 uh, passing, and his film does not lie with that. His accuracy was terrible in this one. 199 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, which I'll get into right away, two sacks, and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty awful game from him. And like I said, I'll jump right in with that interception. 
to me, that was one that was CJ Stroud's first interception of his career. And what a terrible one to start off with, to be honest. Uh, I'm not really sure what's going on with him. He seems to be late on his progression, reading right. Uh, he's got Dalton Schultz coming in on a little bit of an in route, but there is a linebacker sitting right there in kind of a hook curl type of zone. He's right in front where, and not only that, you've got a safety bracketing Schultz behind him. He had the opportunity to come in and hit him and maybe pop that ball out if the linebacker wasn't standing right there too. And even if you look at it from Stroud's perspective, it's very clear that he's in double, if not triple coverage, because there's another guy in the area as well. And Stroud still tries to force it in there, late on the throw as well, and pays for it. And I'd say that was easily his worst throw of the day. Things do get better on the very next drive. He's able to have a pretty big play to get downfield uh, in the run game and is able to score a touchdown. But rest of the way, we kind of see a C.J. Stroud who is very different than what we've seen uh, uh, from him throughout the year. He was, he's been pretty consistent uh, in terms of accuracy, pretty good at going downfield. And he does have a couple of passes here going downfield uh, where he does connect and shows the Stroud that we've seen in other ga- other days. We see towards the end of that first half, he has a pass down the right sideline to Nico Collins for roughly 30 yards. That one, he's just able to layer that in between the zones, just fire a little hole shot to Nico Collins, which... Honestly, he's gotten really good at, and uh, I've been pretty impressed with him uh, throughout the, se- uh, the season doing that. Another pass we see out of him is a pass deep left to Dalton Schultz, uh, this time actually getting it to Dalton Schultz. Uh, and we see another pass later in the game, to go him going 30, 35 yards downfield to Noah Brown. But aside from those couple of explosives, we really don't get much like that from C.J. Stroud consistently in this game. Uh, His accuracy, it was just one of those days where he didn't have his stuff. He was missing high a lot, a lot of passes in the dirt. Uh, It seemed like he was taking a lot more pressure than we're used to him seeing. Stroud has had gotten a lot better early in his NFL career at dealing with pressure and still delivering strikes. But in this one, it seemed like that pressure, the different kind of stunts the Saints off and uh, defensive line was bringing him was getting in his head. It was messing up his footwork a little bit, and that's why we saw so many errant throws, I felt like. Uh, even the couple of sacks he took seemed more like coverage sacks or him holding the ball too long sort of deal and him just kind of getting folded after a while of sitting in the pocket. It didn't seem like to me it was the offensive line's fault. Even the receivers, uh, guys like Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz, I felt like uh, were getting a lot of separation. And maybe he does need a third playmaker on this team. So I expected a lot more out of guys like Tank Dell to step up uh, with Marshawn Lattimore being on Nico Collins and to a certain degree being able to lock him up. I expected other guys to step up, and they definitely didn't. That definitely hurt Stroud. But in general, his accuracy and anticipation was off in this one. A lot of those tight window throws and even deep passes to open guys that we saw Stroud make throughout the year. It wasn't happening in this one. And like I said with Purdy, he's a young quarterback. We do expect games like this. Uh, but is, So it's not something I expect him to stick with him long term, but still a disappointing one for this week. Yeah, so four nice deep passes from Stroud in this game. Um, two to Nico Collins, one to Noah Brown, one to Dalton Schultz. Um, 
as the ugly turnover-worthy play that you mentioned with the interception, where he just, I think he just expected the linebacker to not be there. Um, but yeah, you got to check if, if he's going to be there. But, um, in the second half, it, it just looked like um, the Saints' pressure kind of started to bother him a lot. The 12-yard sack that he took, I thought was on him. The 10-yard sack that he took, I didn't think was on him. Um, and just no positive plays being generated at all by the Texans' offense. Basically for like, like what is this? Like Stroud's last 10, 11 plays, which is uh, pretty rough. He has... One play uh, to Nico Collins on a third and long that goes for 17 yards to make it fourth and three. But beyond that, there's just nothing going on. And um, I thought his reactions to pressure in the second half were pretty rough. Three early pocket bails in this game, which is a high watermark for, for CJ Stroud. Um, I mentioned the sack that he was responsible for, a few pressures that he was responsible for. And um, I don't know if you remember this play, but there was one play in the red zone um, where he was trying to make uh, a deep throw to uh, Robert Woods in the back of the end zone, um, and he yeah. just like he just goes like what like thirty yards behind the line of scrimmage. And while <laughs> some people might look at that play and be like, "Oh, it was so close to a highlight," I think that the process behind that is is not good. Um, in the long run, that's not going to be a conclusion in all likelihood. And the downside of that is a thirty-yard sack. So. Um, yeah, I would, would like to see some of those decisions cleaned up, but um, I ended up calling this one a below-average game. I didn't think it was horrible, and I would expect him to definitely play better moving forward. All right, moving on to um, my last bad quarterback, and that is, unfortunately, Trevor Lawrence. Um, Lawrence was pretty rough in this one. So um, in the first half, there was basically nothing um, in terms of going down the field for Stroud, or not Stroud, for Trevor Lawrence. Um, he has one pass for the touchdown um, to Christian Kirk, where he pushes it 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. But even that one, Kirk just totally destroys the DB off the line. Um, not really a difficult pass at all. He has a bad sack in that first half as well. 11-yard uh, loss where I really think that one was on him. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Jags offense was able to generate um, plays, but it wasn't really because of Lawrence, in my opinion. Evan Ingram with a nasty one-handed catch. Um, where he's basically covered. Trevor gives him a shot, but I, I don't think that can be counted as a positive play for Trevor. Um, in the second half, Lawrence has um, a dropped interception um, to Calvin Ridley where um, it's in a tight window, and Lawrence kind of just puts the ball a little bit ahead of him. Not the worst dropped interception, but a dropped interception nonetheless. Um, a number of short completions, um, like it was in, in the first half, that end up picking up Yak. Um, for 10, 13, 14, and 10. Solid inter intermediate passes, no doubt, but um, Lawrence not really making up for the turnover-worthy play and the sack that I mentioned before. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, a couple of really rough plays. So he has the actual interception that he throws that I thought was on him. Just totally overthrows Christian Kirk um, for his interception. Um, the other plays that he makes are a couple of short completions for five and six yards. Um, ends up taking a sack for a six-yard loss and then takes a bad sack for a 17-yard loss on third and seven where um, that really messed with um, the Jags' ability to kick a high-percentage field goal. Um, and the bigger thing is that he got injured on that one. Uh, didn't look to affect him. We are recording after the Thursday night game. But it didn't look to affect him from a rushing standpoint. But, um, yeah, taking that sack and getting injured on that play was a, a rough turn of events for him. Um, so, yeah, overall in this game, Lawrence was pretty bad. Um, didn't have any 
explosive plays that he self-generated and had a number of turnover-worthy plays that are going to end up hurting his final overall grade for me in this game. So, um, yeah, he should look to bounce back moving forward, but this one was definitely a low point for him for the entire season, I would say. Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that one. And to me, at least, I know we differ a little bit on the opinion here with Trevor Lawrence, but I feel like the season's been slightly disappointing in general for him, this obviously being the lowest point by far. But I do did expect him to kind of take that next step to that elite tier, kind of like how a lot of people expect, especially judging off that second half of last year. And to me, it seems like we're still seeing a lot of those mistakes out of Lawrence that we saw him coming into the league that to me at this point in his career, I thought that it would kind of have been smoothed out already because Trevor Lawrence is an incredible talent. I think he honestly could has the ability to be a top like of all quarterbacks in the league right now go on to have maybe the second or third best future out of anybody here and to me that proneness to throw balls into harm way harm's way uh for no reason really because there is a lot of quarterbacks we see like Allen Mahomes still do that at a high clip and they make up for it not only with explosives but when they do put it in a harm's way a lot of the time I can't say all the time but a lot of the time it does seem to be for a good reason to make a play happen to make something deep trying something like that to me it seems like Lawrence is putting the ball in harm's way consistently short as well And in that case, there's really no reward that you're going for that makes it worth the risk. And it seems like for uh, maybe it's because he's a huge guy, he's a huge target, but the pressure did seem to get to him in this one. And that's not something that I expect to stick. He's normally very good against the Blitz, but to me, I think the Colts... Maybe it's because they, they're good with the Jaguars being in the same division at all, kind of know what game plan to come out with. Maybe that's what happened there, but in general, I was kind of surprised with how Lawrence dealt with uh, the different looks this defense brought at him. And speaking of a elite-level quarterback struggling against the defense, throwing a lot of weird looks at him, and that's Jalen Hurts. And this game was a tough one because for about three, three and a half quarters, he was really good against a defense who, to be quite honest, has been lights out versus literally everybody. And early on in this game, I'd say up till even halftime, I thought he was very good in pretty much every drive. I thought that first touchdown drive he was very, very, very good. We didn't see the Jalen Hurts we saw later in the game, later a little bit uh, later in the game, uh, destroy this Jets defense downfield. But we saw him kind of get into the groove of things. He hit guys like AJ Brown and Devonta Smith for like ten to fifteen yard gains. He was getting rid of the ball quick. And the next drive, we see that interception happen. To me, that was a little bit unlucky. It wasn't or very unlucky actually I wouldn't say this was uh Hurts fault as all at all because he throws it to Goddard and Goddard pretty much like pitches it or loses it in his hands straight to a Jets defender it gets punched out of his hands uh not really Jalen Hurts fault here if it was held a little bit longer it probably ends up being a fumble uh, but nonetheless, it does end up being a jail, Jalen Hurts uh, interception. Uh, and the following drive is when we see him kind of unload a little bit. You have that huge 50-yard play to A.J. Brown, which I'd say was more 
AJ Brown than Jalen Hurts, but regardless, still a huge play for them. And uh, uh, another good t- pass on that touchdown pass to DeAndre Swift later. Uh, there, do- there is another fumble at the end of the half by DeAndre Swift that ends up ending their half for him. And the second half is where things change a little bit for Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'd say that first couple of drives, he has a little bit of a rough time. The accuracy doesn't look quite as good as it was in that first half. And that second interception, I would say, was not fully his fault either because he is very clearly hit as he throws and the ball just floats in the air and falls to a defender's hands on the right side. Uh, That really isn't his fault, I'd say. Pretty obviously, that's the tackle losing his rep and he gets hits as he throws. To me, the kind of issue there is just pocket awareness. I thought pretty obviously the it wasn't a blindside hit here there. The defensive lineman is coming right at his face. And I know he probably has made the decision to throw before he gets hit there. But I would have liked him to maybe have a little bit more awareness here. Maybe tuck it down, uh, go down right there, take the sack because... Right there, I think it's a bit too risky to try to get the throw off, and he does attempt it, and obviously it ends up being a pick. Still leaning more than it not really being his fault, but something he could definitely uh, get, uh, not really get better at, but could make uh, a better play out of the situation, I could say. And then he follows that with a couple of good drives, to be quite honest. On the next drive, on a third and six, we see a huge play from him on a deep uh, pass down the left side of the field to A.J. Brown for, like, nearly 40 yards, I think. And I think this play was even challenged and ends up getting upheld. Crazy throw by Hertz and another crazy catch by A.J. Brown as well to stay in bounds. And that's really where the positive side ends for Hertz because the next drive was probably one of the worst plays I've seen him make in his career, one of the worst interceptions I've seen all year, to be quite honest. And this is kind of what sways the game completely. There was another pass that I missed earlier in the game where which should have been interceptable and makes up for one of the picks. But this was the only pick that obviously people are going to focus on because it actually ends up resulting in an interception. And I really don't understand what he was thinking there. He was in the pocket. He kind of throws it off his back foot despite the pressure coming, but not really getting to him quite yet. He throws a really weak pass off his back foot into double coverage to uh, Dallas Goddard. He has a guy underneath right in front of Goddard as well as someone blanketed all over him. There's really no reason to go there. And that throw very easily could have been a pick six the way it was angled. He gets very little velocity off on it because he's throwing it to his back off his back foot. And when it's such a tight window to the point where you shouldn't throw it, he should at least get it in there with high velocity so it's not just a gimme for the defense. And Hurts pretty much just throws the game away there. At that point, things are over. Nothing much more he can do. He had one more drive to make up for it, but even on that uh, drive, he misses uh, A.J. Brown one, uh, one play. He misses Devonta Smith one play. He checks it down on third down and misses Devonta Smith on fourth down. Another sequence, terrible sequence of events for him to end that game. Uh, and overall, that completely swings how he played for me, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, he has great synergy with A.J. Brown in this one. Something I didn't even mention is he was huge in the rush game once again, scored a touchdown that way. But all those mistakes to end the game just 
too much for me. It ends up swinging it to the bad side. And, yeah, rough performance for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, that last interception, I think he just doesn't see the linebacker. Plus, combining it with throwing it off his back foot, um, yeah, that just leads to a very easy interceptable pass. And one of the worst interceptable passes of the year by any quarterback, probably. I'm not just saying that because it ended up being an interception, but um, just the decision plus the throw, plus the situation mostly. Um, yeah, bad time to have a really bad play. Um, I think collectively, because of what you said, I agreed with I thought he was very good for a large chunk of this game, and one play isn't going to knock it from very good to all the way to bad. I thought he was like yeah. average to below average for me. But, um, yeah, definitely a bad time to have an ugly play like that. All right, so that will wrap up our week six reviews. Let's get into um, our questions for the week. Um, three questions, rapid fire. Um, I'll start it off in this one. Um, and this is a matchup I'm really looking forward to with the Lions and the Ravens. And my question is, what will Jared Goff do against a great linebacking core in Baltimore? They're a great team at making the middle of the field look more condensed. And how will that affect Goff, whose strengths obviously lie in that intermediate middle area? Yeah, not only do I think it'll be a problem in that regard, but I think the biggest thing for Goff is obviously someone who loves to play off the play action. It's pretty clearly his strong suit as a quarterback. And you're not only dealing with probably David Montgomery being out, having to go with Gibbs, who's not really a three-down rusher from what we've seen so far and not really an elite rusher between the tackles in general. I expect this Lions team to have a much worse run game than we've seen in recent weeks and that's gonna clog things up a lot more for Jared Goff who does like having a lot of easy passes off the play action game but if there's any year where I think Jared Goff can maybe overcome that that's this year because he has absolutely expanded his bag of uh, just regular pocket passes it seems like that middle of the field game is huge for him uh, I do think the Patrick Queen and uh Roquan Smith are going to do a much better job of guarding that middle of the field, guarding Laporta going there, guarding Amon Ross St. Brown over there. Uh, I expect him to have a lot tighter windows uh, to operate in that middle of the field. And in general, I expect that him to struggle a little bit. I think this will be Goff's probably worst game of the season because of the situation. I think had they had David Montgomery and the run game, I think he could have probably overcame this. But I think if Montgomery ends up being out, I think this run game doesn't end up being very strong for the Lions. Uh, I think the Ravens are able to drop back a lot more. But, and because of that, there won't be as many tight windows. We know Goff's not the type of guy who can just th throw you out of situations like that. And to me, I think this is where this heater ends. But I'd love to be proven wrong by Jared Goff because this run has been pretty incredible by him, to be completely honest. And moving on from him to another game, which I think is one of the more highly anticipated games in Dolphins-Eagles. And my question for you is, how do you think uh, Tua is uh, deals with a very, very stout front of the Eagles defense? And how do you think that Eagles secondary covers, uh, obviously elite secondary covers the speedsters on this Dolphins team? Yeah, so I don't, I, I actually... Um, I actually don't think this is going to sound a little hot takey, but I don't actually think the front is that big of an issue because of the way that Mike McDaniel schemes up um, the moving pockets. Um, Tua getting the ball out of his hands really fast. Tua is um, a big 
reason why their offensive line metrics look good this year, in my opinion. Um, I don't think that they're a very talented group at all. Uh, but Tua continuing to get the ball out of his hands fast and push it down the field, just play with understanding and anticipation kind of neutralizes the impact of the front. Now, the secondary is where it gets a little bit more interesting. And I think that um, Tyreek Hill is a mismatch nightmare for anyone. Um, and putting James Bradbury um, against Jalen Waddle is also a mismatch. So, yeah, I, I honestly expect some fireworks um, from the Dolphins again. It seems like we say this every week, but the Dolphins are one of the greatest offenses I've ever seen in my life. So um, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be a surprise that uh, I, I'm really saying that. Um, so I wanted to ask questions question about this matchup as well, but from the other, uh, the other side of the ball. So um, looking at Jalen Hurts in this game, um, what do you think that the Dolphins can do to replicate the performance of the Jets' defense? Do they have the personnel to pull off what the Jets did with their defensive line? Um, and how do you think that the deep ball will fare in this game because the Eagles are pretty reliant on it right now to generate positives? Right. And one thing before I jump into that question, want to quickly comment on what you had to say. I actually disagree with a little bit about the front not mattering. I'd say the only two games we've seen this Dolphins offense not really perform is the Bills game and the Pats game. And the Pats front seven isn't even that great, but the Bills obviously do have a pretty solid front seven. And I did think there were clear deficiencies in this offense shown from those games. Not really because of Tua, but in general, I think when they're not able to run the ball effectively with Mostert, A-Chain, etc. Obviously, A-Chain's down now, but in general, they've had an incredible run game. I think it's gone under the radar how good that run game is and how important that is for setting up the deep shots that we see to Tyreek Hill. And I think uh, this offense, I do think uh, it's definitely not prone to just being able to dominant elite front sevens like that and i i expect a not a bad day still probably 20 plus points because of how elite this offense is but i don't really expect a high fire uh, fireworks game from this dolphins team and moving on from what you uh from that side to what you asked me about jalen hurts and this offense and to put it simply no i don't think this dolphins team has the personnel to match up with this uh eagles offense and i think it starts off with that uh, front, to be quite honest. I mean, we've seen what the Eagles can do, uh, not only running the ball, but in general, just uh, th that offensive line is incredible. And I think defenses that don't have the fronts to be able to slow down this run game, the Eagles have shown that they're completely comfortable in these tough games with, we don't need to throw the ball on you if we can just gash it up the middle five, six yards every single time. And maybe that that's definitely not the best way to play offense for them. But against this Dolphins team, who honestly kind of, aside from Jalen Phillips, has a lot of lack of talent in that uh, front seven. And I think they're able to dominate that way. Uh, I also think without Jalen Ramsey, who is back in practice right now, still not back to playing yet. I don't think they have the personnel either on the backside to uh, line up with guys like A.J. Brown, Devonta Smith. I mean, no one really does, but I do think uh, Xavier Howard being a big risk taker, same with Kader Kahu. I think they're both uh, guys who can be prone to giving up the deep play. And the way we've seen this Eagles team kind of operate with the deep play these past couple of weeks, the way their run game has been consistent the whole way through. I'd be incredibly surprised if this uh, Dolphins team is able to hold this Eagles team uh, at home as well. 
And moving on from him, uh, that matchup to another pretty big matchup here. And it's a divisional matchup as well. And that's the Chargers Chiefs. And Mahomes is someone who, even though I still think he's a very elite player, he clearly has had uh, a little bit of a downturn these past couple of weeks. Do you think he gets back on track against the poorest Chargers defense and secondary? Yeah, I would say that that's always the expectation with Mahomes. Um, he, um, against a really rough Chargers defense, um, it, it should be the expectation that he plays better than he did last week against Denver, who was also a really rough defense. Um, and I think it kind of comes down to the way that the receivers are playing. If the receivers are separating properly, you could see some fireworks. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure if this is the week that they have their breakout. Um, if they f- if they feature Rasheed Rice more, I could see him emerging as a good number two. I think he's good enough right now to be a solid starter at receiver in a similar level that Juju was last year. Um, and we know that Kelsey is, is a monster, even if he's in decline. Um, so it just kind of depends on who they decide to feature personnel-wise. But even if they don't, like, the weakness of the Chargers at, at on defense is... is very noted um and yeah i I think that um there's potential for the chiefs to have a breakout game on offense at any point all right um apologies in advance for making you talk about this offense but is this a get right game for the steelers offense against an average defense in the rams and do you think the concept of a get right game exists for an offense this bad oh boy uh that is a very very interesting question uh I think it completely depends, to be quite honest, and that might be a bit of a cop-out answer. But I think right now, obviously, the Steelers' offense is not very good, but they do have a lot of young pieces. Obviously, Kenny Pickett at the center of it, even guys like George Pickens, uh, the emergence of Jalen Warren. He seems to be the main running back there right now. Uh, They do have potential to get right because – but they being a young team, you never know when they can put things together. So, yeah, there, there. I think there is potential for a get-right game. Uh, but if we're talking about the Steelers specifically and what I've seen and what I believe, I personally don't think this offense has the ability to have a get-right game because I think this team, this offense is just horribly ran. Uh, as long as Matt Canada is there, I really don't expect this offense to – make anything happen and even though this Rams defense is mediocre I think to be quite honest they match up decently well against this uh, Steelers team I think even with all the uh, addresses they made to the offensive line uh, I still think the Steelers offensive line has played pretty poorly and I think that's a big contributor to why this offense is so bad and when they're facing a guy like Aaron Donald who I know this Rams defensive line outside of him is not very good but him alone is huge. He's playing against his hometown team. Uh, I, I expect him to have a huge game. I expect the, them to be able to stop the run pretty handedly. And when the Steelers aren't able to run the ball and they're ha- forced to put it in Kenny Pickett's hands, he has not shown up whatsoever this season. And even though I don't really think the Rams secondary is that good, I don't think they have really good separators on that Steelers team. I think this is going to be Deontay's first game back. And Deontay Johnson, in my opinion, is pretty clearly the best playmaker on this team. So maybe that adds an element to this offense we didn't expect. And they could uh, jump up 
but in all honesty, I expect another very mediocre to bad game from the Steelers offense. And uh, much similar to you asking about terrible offenses, I'll go ahead and ask about probably the worst offensive matchup of this game, this uh, week, I should say. And I believe it's going to be an Aiden O'Connell versus Tyson Badgett matchup. And <laughs> my question to you is going to be, who is going to be worse and how bad are they going to be uh, individually? Oh, fascinating question. You don't, you don't have to apologize for this one. Um, no, honestly, um, I, I like the idea of watching rookie quarterbacks. Um, but Aiden, Aiden O'Connell, um, he kind of jumps out to me as a guy with uh, potential from game to game. We saw in the preseason he was absolutely lighting up, um, making explosive plays down the field, great tight window throws. Um, so he clearly has – the arm talent and the aggression to pull things off. It's just right. like there's there's a clear downside. And this was clear in his college tape. He just makes some of the most boneheaded turnover-worthy plays that you'll see. Kind of like um, in a Drew Locke mold, but I think that he's better in terms of ball control and accuracy than Drew Locke. Um, does have the same kind of boneheadedness. So um, interesting player. Tyson Badgett, on the other hand, um, more of a physically limited in the traditional sense type of guy. Uh, smaller quarterback. He does execute an offense well, um, but I think that with the lack of talent on the Bears, um, his skills are not well serviced. I think he would be much better if he was like the backup in San Francisco or, or Miami. Um, his yeah. skills just line up a lot better with like a Shanahan style of offense. But um, yeah, for that reason, I think that because of the lack of talent on the, the Bears and uh, Tyson Bajan's lack of synergy, with that type of um, situation, um, I think that Aiden O'Connell will, will play better in this game. All right, so that will wrap up our three questions each section. And for our random fun facts slash charting notes um, section um, this week, I didn't have anything in specific, but I did want to give an update on the charting cut list. Um, so guys that I will not be watching for the rest of the year, um, and this one shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Um, and I think Potty actually discussed this as a guy he uh, potentially could be talking about, it and he just said, I can't do it anymore. Um, and that's how I feel. Um, and it's, it's Mac Jones. Um, and this one, this one really hurts. Pause for that one. I, I have been a guy who's supported Mac Jones in the past. Uh, I thought he was a good draft prospect. I thought that after his rookie year, there were significant signs of potential, but um, it's become clear to me that after playing with um, a bad receiving core for two, like truly like very bad receiving core for the last two years, um, a mediocre offensive line last year, and then a horrible offensive line this year with the injuries that they've had, just horrible players. Their their depth at offensive line is just putrid. Um, he has developed some pretty significantly bad habits in terms of making bad decisions out of structure. His accuracy has really waned. His reaction to, to pressure has been pretty awful. Um, just a quarterback whose style of play is not suited for a team that's built around defense um, and lacking in offensive talent. Um, and that's basically what the Patriots have done for multiple seasons now. So continuing to put the quarterback in a situation that is not conducive for him to develop will worsen him over time. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, I don't think his career is over. I think he could resurrect his career in a different situation, but it's going to take time. Um, maybe like we saw with Jared Goff 
in his first year in Detroit, he looked pretty awful. Um, his his stats were down. His um, turnover-worthy plays looked pretty ugly. Um, and I think it was a kind of a similar level to what Mac Jones is playing at right now. And he definitely resurrected himself to uh, the level that he was at before. So I think that Mac Jones still has starter potential long-term down the line. But um, for this season, it's just not coming back. And I've, I've accepted that part. Yeah, start charting Malik Cunningham, buddy. Uh, that's the future of the Patriots right now. Uh, yeah, well, but in all seriousness, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I mean, obviously, I've been the proponent of this Mac Jones stuff even before you were. Uh, and part of it, I do agree, is the situation. He is obviously a kind of guy who's like a ceiling raiser, maybe. And I think he'd definitely succeed in offenses like the Niners or like the Dolphins and uh the Patriots have asked him to basically be something like a Lamar Jackson like the kind of team he has around him reminds me something like of something like that and he's nowhere near that type of guy uh but I still don't think that like if you throw him on a really good offense put everything around him give him the ideal situation to me he's still not a high level Pro Bowl level quarterback, someone you want in the playoffs, in the Super Bowl to win you games. Uh, he just makes too many mistakes for me. The lack of athleticism appears very often when he's under pressure. Uh, he makes too many inaccurate throws for this mold of quarterback. Like accuracy and anticipation has to be like his bread and butter, something he can do every single game. And to me, if he was doing that, he would not be getting benched. He would not be playing the way he is. And I re- I don't see much of an upside for him long term. I could see him still hanging around, being an average quarterback, but in terms of high level upside, I think it's cooked. All right, that'll be all from us for this one. Make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform that you're listening on. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at pd34 underscore and at real Potty too. Yep, yep. That'll be all from me. That'll be all from Potty. We'll see you guys in the next one. Peace. Yep. Peace out.